So I know last time um, I spoke from uh, about the shadows of Golgotha, we were in Psalm 69, and I told you that we still have one more sermon in the book of Psalms, but um, the more I study, um, the more I look into it, um, it is, um, I just found that, you know, uh, this is too loud. I just thought that, you know, uh, we'll need to stretch the scripture a little bit to find these shadows of Golgotha. I didn't feel like this is something I would like to do. So here we are. We arrived to the book of Isaiah and we arrived to chapter 53. This is one of the most important passages in the Old Testament that tells us about the cross and about what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Amen? Amen. Um, this is a, a, a big chapter. Um, we're going to start actually from Isaiah 52 verse 13 all the way to the end of chapter 53. So we're going to take it slow. We're going to just try to dig into that text and try to see what is uh, Isaiah telling us and the word of God I promise will just blow your mind away. So um, I'm going to give you a little bit of an introduction here and then we're going to read the text that we're going to be focusing on. Um, Isaiah 52 uh, 13 to Isaiah 53 12 it is called the song of the suffering servant. Uh, we, we, we read even at the very entrance of that uh, song in Isaiah 52 verse 13, God says, Behold my servant. So it is one of the songs that talks about the servant of God. As a matter of fact, in the second part of the book of Isaiah, starting from Isaiah uh, chapter 40, we see four different songs about the servant of God. Four different songs. We see in Isaiah 42 a song about the call of the servant. Isaiah 49 uh, a song about the commission of the servant. Isaiah 50 is the commitment of the servant. And then we come here to Isaiah 52 and 53. The end part of 52 and 53 talks about the suffering or the career of that servant. Four different times the, the, the book of Isaiah talks about the servant of God. It's, it's a, uh, or the servant of the Lord. It's a pretty common theme in the second part of the book of Isaiah. We're just going to focus on the last song since we're still talking about the shadows of Golgotha. Amen? So we're only going to focus on the last part, the last song, because it's really an amazing foreshadow of uh, the cross. And if you read that, it really talks about the sufferings of Christ and the glory that he received after that. Peter in the, in the New Testament, in 1 Peter 1.11, he was speaking about the Holy Spirit in the prophets of the Old Testament. And Peter said, to which, to the Old Testament prophets, the Spirit of who? The Spirit of Christ. In them. Wait a minute. Was that the Spirit of God in them or was that the Spirit of Christ? It's exactly. So Christ is equal to God here. Peter has no problem identifying the Spirit of God as the Spirit of Christ. And he said, to the Old Testament prophet, to which the Spirit of Christ in them was was pointing when he predicted the suffering of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. So the Holy Spirit, even in the Old Testament, was teaching us and telling us that the Messiah will suffer and he will receive glory after that. Amen? Amen. We saw that in details when we spent five weeks in Psalm 22, right? And the psalm was about the agony of the cross and the victory of the cross. How Christ suffered through the cross. We spent four weeks talking about that. And then the glory that Jesus has received 
at the end and how the purposes of God was accomplished through him. That's when we started Psalm 22. And the passage that we're going to start on today is another prime example of a passage in the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit is clearly telling us about the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. Amen? In Hebrew, I don't read Hebrew, I barely understand a few words with the, with the help of lexicons and stuff like that. It's a, this song is beautiful poem. The way it's structured and the, the, the way the wording and everything is just so beautiful. We see that this poem has, or this song has, five different stances or five different verses. Like when you sing, you know, Amazing Grace or something, you have different verses in it. So the, in, in Hebrew, it has five different verses, uh, five different stances. And each one of these stanza is, is three verses in the Bible. So three verses form one stanza. So the whole total is 15 verses. You guys follow me so far? Five stanzas, each is three verses. And each stanza in the Hebrew is a little bit longer than the one before it. It's really a beautiful point. So you see stanza one has like nine lines, stanza two has ten, three has twelve, four, the stanza four has thirteen lines, and stanza five has fifteen lines. So it's, it's really a beauty when it comes to the Hebrew structure behind it. There's five stanzas again, and the way it's structured, or this, the way uh, Isaiah, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, wrote it, it seems like it's a zigzag, you know, like the ideas that he's talking about. He talks about something, move to something else, and then come back to it. It's like a zigzag. So the first stanza, which is uh, Psalm 52, verse 13 to 15, we see that God is saying that the servant will be exalted. Then Isaiah moves to uh, 50. Chapter 53, 1-3, to talks about the suffering of the servant. In verse 4-6 to in Isaiah 53, it tells us about the significance of that suffering. So exaltation, suffering, significance, and then he'll go back to suffering again in Isaiah 53, 7-9. And then he it concludes the whole song with exaltation again. So you guys see the way he's going. He's like a zigzag thing. Amen? So that is the, the, the Hebrew structure behind it. Um, there's a different way also that you can look at that um, uh, construction of that song in Hebrew. You can see that the first uh, stanza, which is exaltation, that's kind of a prelogue. Uh, God is just introducing him servant, his servant, and God is saying this servant will be exalted. Amen? Amen. And then stanza 2, 3, and 4, which is the middle, that's the body or the message of that song. And then stanza number 5, which is also talking about the exaltation, is the conclusion of that song. You can look at it anyway um, among these lines, but the point is five different portions and it's kind of like a zigzag in, in, the, in the, the, the theology or the logic that Isaiah is using to present that song for us. Amen? Amen. I know this can be dry information, but this is good stuff. You need to know it. And we're going to jump into the spiritual stuff in a minute. There are seven direct quotes from that song in the New Testament. Amen? Amen. On top of these seven, there is multiple other allusions to Isaiah 53 throughout the New Testament. There are seven direct ones, and there is like so many others where you can see hints to Isaiah 53, even though it's not directly quoted in the New Testament. Out of the seven direct quotes, five of them tells us point blank that Jesus is actually that suffering servant that Isaiah is talking about. Amen? Amen. 
Yeah. Let's show you the let's go through it real quick. Matthew 8. Matthew applied the verse in Isaiah 53 that says that the Messiah bore our sicknesses and took our diseases. Matthew applied that directly to the healing ministry of Christ in Matthew 8, 14 to 17. Jesus himself said that he is the suffering servant because in the book of Luke verse 22 uh, chapter 22 verse 37 Jesus was telling his disciples that he's going to Jerusalem where he's gonna die and he's gonna be numbered this is Jesus exact words he will be numbered among the transgressors the transgressors which is a direct quote from Isaiah 53 we're gonna see that later so Jesus said well, actually, Isaiah 53 is about me. He applied that chapter to himself and to the death that he's about to accomplish and do on the cross. Amen? Amen. Matthew applied it. Jesus himself applied it. Peter applied that song to Jesus. Uh, when Peter said, uh, I think it's uh, 1, Peter, 1 Peter 2, it says, For by whose stripes you are healed. And that's also a direct quote from Isaiah 53. Amen. Philip applied that to Christ straight in, 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 in Acts chapter 8. Remember the story of the, Enoch, the Ethiopian Enoch who was in Jerusalem worshiping. He was reading Isaiah 53 and he did not know who that is. And the Holy Spirit told Philip, go and talk to him. And Philip did. And he goes there and the Enoch is talking, reading, for he bore our transgression and he was, uh, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And the, the Ethiopian person is like, who, who, who is that person that Isaiah is talking about? Is he talking about himself? And Philip started teaching him and said, no, it's not about himself. It's about Christ. And he told him and started teaching him how um, Jesus is the, the one that Isaiah had been speaking about. This is for so far. I need to highlight my, um, my things. There's one I'm missing. Let's see. We did uh, Matthew 8, Luke 22. We did... First Peter, we did Acts. All right, I have it here counted. You just need to go back and read the paragraph. Um, Isaiah 53, um, uh, chapter, verse 1. Who has believed our report? That was quoted twice in the New Testament and was applied to the ministry of the gospel in the book of John and then... Um, and then uh, Paul quoted that as well, uh, talking about Christ in Romans chapter 10. And the last time that we read um, that direct quote, so I'm sorry, four of that Isaiah 53 tells us that Jesus is the suffering servant. And then Isaiah 53 was quoted twice in the New Testament, in, in John 12 and in Romans 10. And then finally, uh, in Romans 15, we see that Paul was saying, uh, applying that verse to the spread of the gospel throughout the world as well. Amen? So you guys follow me? Four direct quotes tell us that Jesus is the Messiah. And then Isaiah 53, 1, who has believed our, our report was quoted twice in John 12 and Romans 10. And then finally Romans 15 is also a quote from Isaiah, but it more talks about the spread of the gospel to those who never heard before. These are the seven direct quotes. But again, that, that as one person said it, I was reading a lot about this. He's like, Isaiah 53 is truly woven through all the fabric of the New Testament. Everywhere you go, you're going to see Isaiah 53 or allusions to it. Amen? Amen? Longer introductions, but I think it's worth it. Why I'm telling you a lot of stuff like this, um, there are um, a lot of rabbis and Jewish teachers who read Isaiah 53 and they say this is not Jesus. They say this is actually Israel. Okay? 
And they have very strong arguments. We're going to address that. Actually, I start studying their arguments. And then after I spend a lot of time doing it, I was like, you know what? Let's just focus on the text first and then address the arguments last. Amen? So as we go, some of this stuff is precisely to answer some of the arguments that they might have against uh, Christ being the suffering servant uh, of Isaiah 53. And they say it's actually the nation of Israel is not Christ. So some of this stuff is precisely directed toward that. I want you to pay attention as we go through Isaiah 53. Because I will see when we finish and we'll try to bring up their arguments, how many of these arguments you'll be able to answer. Does that work? <laughs> you know? So pay very close attention. I'll give you hints as we go. So so this one, for example, the times that uh, Isaiah 53 was quoted in the New Testament, that's an answer to one of their arguments because they say the New Testament never said that Jesus is that suffering Messiah. So, you know, this is one of their arguments. Uh, but yeah, I'll point, point stuff like that as we go. I pay attention and see how many you can answer um, after we finish studying Isaiah 53. Amen? And I want to challenge us as well uh, in one more thing. That song, uh, again, it's 15 verses. It is extremely, extremely powerful. And I think we're going to spend a few weeks studying it. I want to challenge us to see if we can actually memorize the whole chapter together in the next few weeks. If you don't know Isaiah 53, I don't know what scripture in the Bible you, you're really going to know, you know. So think about it, you know, we're just going to take it, I think we're going to take it even sometimes word for word or phrase for phrase. But I want to challenge us. The Bible said that you need to hide God's word in your heart, right? Not in your cell phone, in your heart, right? So let's try to memorize Isaiah 53 as we go. Amen? Be thinking about that. I, I challenge you to do it. Please do it. Um, in Egypt, I grew up where kids 12 years old and stuff memorized the whole Quran, which is one-fourth of the volume of the New Testament. But they can quote it verbatim, word for word, at 12 years old. If they can be that dedicated, I think we can memorize Isaiah 53. It shouldn't be a problem. Amen? And if it's a problem, suck it up and do it anyways. Amen? <laughs> All right. So let's now uh, dig into the text. Let's go into Isaiah 53. We're going to start from Isaiah 52:13, And today we're just going to stop at that very first uh, introduction of, of, of that servant. So I'm going to read with you now Isaiah 52, 13 to 15. This is how God introducing his servant. And he said, Behold, my servant shall deal wisely. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his Fassage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. King shall shut their mouth at him, for what had not been told, them they shall see. And what they had not heard, they shall consider. Amen? That's the first stanza. That's the first, um, you know, part of that song. Again, it's five parts. Today, we're just going to stop at the very first three words, how God introduced Jesus, his son. Again, he's the one that Isaiah 53 talks about. And how did God introduce his son? He said, behold, the one in whom my soul delights, right? He introduced him this way before, but here is not introducing him this way. He's not saying, look, this is the one in whom I delight. This is the one who absolutely pleases me, right? He introduces him as his servant, right? 
And the word servant that God used here to introduce his son Jesus to us, it's actually the, the Hebrew word evad, which literally means a slave, a bond servant. Somebody who really doesn't have any choices in anything. He's a bond servant. He's a slave. That word was mentioned over 750 times in the Old Testament. The very first time we read that word was in Genesis 9.25. That was Noah after the, 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 the flood. And he was cursing Ham who saw his nakedness. But he couldn't curse Ham so he cursed his son Canaan because Ham was blessed by God. And how did Noah curse Canaan, his grandson? Genesis 9.25 he said, A servant of servants shall Canaan be to his brethren. The word here, servant, is the first time we read about it, a slave, evad, which literally Noah was saying that Canaan should be the lowest of all slaves. Amen? How many know if you're a slave, this is really bad, socially speaking, right? Now, if you're a slave of a slave, now you're really, really, really bad. Amen? But that's the idea here. You're, you're, you're a bond servant. You're a slave. You have nothing for, to do for yourself. You don't have a free will. You are an absolute uh, property of your master. That's literally what the word means here. Amen? Amen. We see in, um, in, in the Old Testament that a slave can be bought with money or can be hired. We talked about that multiple times before. And we see that... Look at this verse. This is really amazing. Exodus 13, 3. God is saying to the children of Israel, I brought you out of the house of slaves. Talking about Egypt. This word slaves is translated in so many other versions as the house of bondage. But literally the Hebrew is the house of slaves. Now think about that. Think about how the children of Israel were in the land of Egypt. How much freedom they have. None. They were actually whipped if they don't do the work that they're commanded to do, right? How many uh, choices they can make? None. How many um, desires they can fulfill? None. They have absolutely zero rights. They're like property. Amen? And that's how they were treated in the land of Egypt. But that gives you an idea of that, what that word actually means. It means somebody who's, been, who's just a property, who has no wealth, who has no desire, who has nothing that he can do for himself, is absolutely owned by his master. Amen? Whether that's a cruel master or a good master, doesn't matter. It's your master and you do what the master wants you to do. Amen? So that is the idea that is behind the word here. The, 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 the slave is not a free man. He's, he's an, an owned man. Somebody who's owned by his master. And this is very interesting because if we dig into Isaiah 53, we see that Israel was mentioned as a slave too, as a servant to God. But there's a contrast between Israel being a slave that we read throughout Isaiah 40 to 66 and Christ being the slave of Isaiah 53. We read that Israel sinned. Israel was not a good servant, was not a good slave to God. However, when it comes to Isaiah 53, Christ is, is described in verse 12 as, I apologize, in verse 11 as my righteous servant. Amen? Israel was never described as the righteous servant of God. You guys follow me? So you know that, that the idea here that God is using to introduce his son Jesus, he's saying, even though he is my son, he has now no will, no desire. He chose to become, in a way, my property. He chose, in a way, to become my slave so I can do whatever I want. Amen? Amen. Yeah. 
we see that, think about that, in, in, in Isaiah 6, we see that uh, Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, right? In his majesty and in his glory. And if you go back to the book of John, chapter 12, verse 39 to 41, you'll see that John is telling us point blank that the one that Isaiah saw his glory with Christ himself. It was not the Father, it was Christ himself. Amen? Now think about that. In the same book, in the same book of Isaiah, in chapter 6, we see Christ being exalted, that so much so that angels cannot even behold His glory, and they just cover their eyes in His presence, and one shout to the other, say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, talking about Christ. Amen? Yet few chapters in that book, we see that the one who's holy, the one whose glory was filling the whole temple and angels cannot even look at Him, that same one has become a bond servant to God. Why? Why? To fulfill His plan of salvation so that you and I can be saved. Amen? Amen. The theme that Christ has become a bond servant or a slave to God the Father, that Christ loved the Father so much so that he chose willingly to become his slave, his bond servant, to fulfill the salvation plan for you and me. It is not just a single scripture that we see in Isaiah 53. Amen? We see that coming throughout the scripture. Amen? Let me point that to you. Let me show you how Christ has become a servant or a slave of God the Father. The first indication, we talked about this before. Hebrews chapter 10, we discussed this many times before, talks about Christ and his incarnation. And that is um, where, where Isaiah, Hebrews 10 says, Christ saying, you don't want sacrifices and offering, but you have prepared a body for me, right? If you remember. And we said that this is a quote from Psalm chapter 40, right? Where Psalm 40 says, not you prepared a body for me, but you have pierced my ear. You guys remember that or no? If you don't go back and study it, it's so good, okay? So Psalm 40 says, you don't want sacrifices and offering, you pierced my ear. The author of Hebrews quoted that and he said, sacrifices and offering you don't want, you have prepared a body for me so I can incarnate to come and save the human race, right? And if you remember, we also said that uh, Psalm 40, when the psalmist said, you have pierced my ear, that is based on the law of the slave of Exodus 21, when somebody loves his master so much, and he said, you know what, I want to serve you the rest of my life, the, the slave told the master, I don't want to go free, I want to serve you the rest of my life, so the master will take the slave and pierce his ear as a mark that this person has willingly choose to give up his desires, give up his will, give up everything that he is so he can live for one single purpose which is fulfilling the desires of his master. Amen? Amen. So Psalm 40 is based on that and then Hebrews 10 is based on Psalm 40. The point is the Bible is telling us in as much as in the Old Testament a slave can come to his master and say master I love you I don't want to go free Take me to be yours forever. And that pierced ear will be the mark that he has willingly choose to serve his master. So is the flesh and the body in which Christ has incarnated. This is a mark that Christ also willingly chose to be a slave and serve God to fulfill the salvation plan for the fallen human race. Amen. We see that in the Old Testament. We see that throughout the ministry of Christ. Look at this. In, in John 5.19, Jesus said that he can do nothing of himself. 
But he only does what the Father does, right? Okay, let me pause here for a second. Jehovah Witness can take this and say, Oh, whoa, wait, see, Jesus can do nothing of himself, therefore he cannot be God. But Jesus here was not denying equality with God, Jesus was denying independence from God. You guys follow me? He was saying, I am so in tune with God that I cannot do anything of my own will. My will is so in tune with the will of God. I am not independent from him. I am his bond servant in a way. Amen. So in, in, in John 5, we see Jesus saying he can do nothing except what the father is doing. And then in John 12, 49, Jesus said, I don't say anything of my own. I only say what the Father has commanded me to say. Do you see that? His action, he was a servant of God. His words, he was a servant of God. And even in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was praying, he said, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus was saying, God, I am your servant. I'm your bond servant. I'm your slave. I don't have a will of my own. Your will be done. Amen? Amen. He did the word, the word. He said the words that God wanted him to say. He did only the works that God wanted him to say. He had no will of his own. Only what the God willed in his life, he was willing to do. Amen? I don't know how you define that. I define that as a bond servant. Amen? So in the ministry and the life of Christ, we see him also that he was a servant, a bond servant to the Father. Not only that, the early church understood Christ to be a bond servant also of the Father. Many times we see that the early church calling Christ the servant of God. Acts 3.13 now, this is what the disciple says. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our Father, has glorified who? His servant, His servant Jesus. Acts 3.26, when God raised Jesus, it raised us up. And how do you refer to him? When God raised up His servant. servant. Acts 4.27, indeed Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus. Acts 4.30 Stretch out your hand and heal and perform miracles and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. This is the early church understood how they understood Christ. And I tell you for the longest time this really bugged me. I was like, wait a minute it's just Jesus we, we say that he is the son of God who is equal to the father yet it doesn't seem like the disciple understood him this way right after he was ascended to heaven. They all call him a servant of God. And that bugged me for the longest time. But till I studied this, when they call him a servant of God, they just refer to his willingness to empty himself from everything that he willingly chose to be a bond servant of the Father. Amen? Probably every single disciple would say that Jesus is the servant of God had Isaiah 53 in mind. When God said, Behold my servant. Amen? Jesus is a servant of God in that sense that he willingly chose to give his life and his will and his desire up to do what only is pleases to the Father. Paul, point blank, tells us that Jesus has become a bond servant. In Philippians 2, 6-8, look how Paul described Christ. He said, who Christ being in the form of God he was in the very nature God. He did not consider equality with God. That's more paraphrasing of the intention of the Greek. He did not consider equality with God something that he can hold onto for his own advantage. But he 
emptied himself. He made himself nothing. Taking upon himself what kind of form? A bond servant, a slave. Why? So he can go to the cross, so he can fulfill the very plan of God's very plan of salvation for you and for me. Amen? Amen. Behold my servant. This is how God introduced his son. He introduced him as the one who loved God so much, loved the Father so much, that he willingly chose to lay aside his glory, lay aside his desire, lay aside his will, lay aside his prerogative, lay everything that he is aside so he can do only what the Father wants him to do. Amen? Amen? Now think about this. If Jesus thought that he can love the Father enough to do that, then you and I should think the same way. Amen? Amen. And the fact that those who are purchased by God are his own bond servant or his own slave is a pretty common theme in the scripture. This is not just a New Testament thing. This is also an Old Testament thing. Look at this. Moses in the Old Testament. When God was telling him, go save the children of Israel. What did he say? Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore, our, um, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy slave. The same word. Like God, I am your servant, I am your slave. Don't do this to me if you don't mind, but I am your bond servant. I don't have a will of my own. Yeah. I don't have a desire of my own. I am your servant. Wow. In 2 Kings 21.10, this scripture we read, And the Lord speak by his servants there. Prophets. prophets. So the prophets, the Bible tells us, they're God's slaves. Amen? Amen. And then all the children of Israel whom God has redeemed from the land of Egypt, God has expected them to have the same level of commitment and the same level of obedience. In Leviticus 25, 15, For unto me the children of Israel are slaves, bond servants. They have no will. They have only my will to do. Amen? And this is the very theme carried into the New Testament. Wait a minute, Pastor Cammy. Jesus said in John 15, 15, I no longer call you servants, right? That's what Jesus said, right? Because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. We're no more slaves. We're no more servants to God. No, no, not really. Amen? We have been exalted because of the love of Christ that we are now children of God, but does, that does not take away the Lordship of Christ over your life. Amen? It does not take away that Jesus is a ruler and master over your life. Amen? It doesn't take away the fact that when you gave your life to Christ, you surrendered all, supposedly, right? That from that point forward, you said, not me anymore. I am going to die here. And the person who's going to live in me from that point forward is Christ and Him alone. Amen? The fact that Jesus has exalted us positionally to be children of God doesn't take away His kingship and His rulership over our lives. Amen? The disciples understood that pretty clearly. Look at that. Paul, most of, a lot of the times, introduces himself as a bond servant, a slave of Christ. Romans 1, Philippians 1, Titus 1. Three times Paul said, I am a bond servant, I'm a slave of Christ. Think about that. If the greatest Evangelist, the man who have moved in the anointing and the holy, uh, the anointing of the Holy Spirit like never before, still think of himself being a servant of God. Then guess what? You are definitely a servant, a bond servant of Christ. Amen. Amen. 
Peter, same way. This is the guy on whom the church was founded. How is Peter introducing himself? A bond servant of Christ, 2 Peter 1. James, Christ, rather, how does he introduce himself? A bond servant of Christ. Jude, Jude 1, 1. I am a bond servant of Christ. Over and over and over again, we see the disciples are not ashamed to say, I am a slave, a bond servant of Christ. Amen? Amen. This is Old Testament. This is New Testament. God has not changed. Amen? Amen? The fact that we live in America in the 21st century, that we vote for our president, and if we don't like him, we can kick him out in four years, does not apply to Christ. Amen? He's not President Jesus. He is King Jesus. Amen? And when you have, you're in a kingdom, you don't have a choice but to obey the King. Amen? Amen. So if you're here today, and you're not sure if you have committed your life to Christ. You don't know if you are a believer or not, if you're going to go to heaven or not. Well, it's really simple. All what you have to do is deny every single will, every single desire. Come to Jesus today and say, I am going to die today. And from today forward, I'm going to have one master and one master only. And that will be you, Lord Jesus. Amen? Yeah. My eyes is not going to be mine to look at whatever I want to look. My hands is not going to be mine to do whatever I want to do. My feet are not going to be mine to go wherever I want to, to go. From today forward, only you, Jesus, will be Lord of my life. And I will die today. Amen? Amen. Oh, Pastor Cammy, why are you make it so hard for people? Just, uh, you know, have them to come one step at a time. Well, I'm sorry, I didn't set the rules. Amen? Jesus said, if you're not willing to deny yourself every single day and carry the cross and hate, hate everybody else for my sake, you're not worthy to be my disciple. Carry the cross every day. Remember we talked about the cross. How is that a symbol of, of shame and torture? In other words, if I want to translate that verse in, in our 21st century language, here is what Jesus is saying. If you're not willing to be tortured physically beyond description, that the pain of the physical torture, torture that you're going to endure for my sake is going to be extremely hard on you. If you're not willing to be publicly humiliated and ashamed for my sake, beyond what other people can even describe, and don't do it just once, but every single day. If it's not the level of commitment that you have for me, then guess what? You don't have to be my disciple. Hard words, isn't it? But Jesus is not looking for half-hearted disciples. Amen? Jesus is looking only for fully committed disciples. Amen? And it makes sense. It's purely fair. If Jesus, the Son of God, will humble himself and choose to be a servant of God for your salvation, it is pretty fair to me that he will expect us to be the same to him. Amen? Amen? Amen. But Pastor Cammy, salvation is a journey. People take time to get to that level. No, friends, salvation is not a journey. Salvation is a commitment. Amen? And you're not willing to make that commitment, you're not saved yet. Amen? Amen. It's a commitment that you're going to lay your life down for Christ and be His slave and His alone. Amen? Not part for Jesus and part for the world. Not part for Jesus and part for yourself. Not part for Jesus and part for your family. Him and Him alone will be your master. 
As a matter of fact, I'm honestly quite the opposite. I'm sick and tired of people who claim that they are Christian and they're not really committed to Christ. Amen? Amen. If you're not all in, you're all out. You guys follow me? I told you this before. When, when the flood came in the days of Noah, it didn't matter if you were one inch from the ark or one mile from the ark. Did it matter? That didn't matter. What mattered? You're in the ark or outside the ark. And when the door was shut once and for all, you're either all in or you're all out. Amen? My Bible doesn't say that when the door shut, a couple of people were still trying to put their hands in and they just left it hanging outside the door, right? It didn't work. You're either in or out. And if you're not 100% in, you're 100% out. You have to make up your mind. Jesus is not looking for half-hearted disciples. But Pastor Camby, I'm not there yet. Fine. He said, don't be my disciple. It's just as simple as that. Amen? Amen. But I promise you, there is nothing better than being a slave to Christ. If you're not going to be a slave to Christ, you're going to be by default a slave to sin. Now, sin is a cruel master. If you are, you're a slave no matter if you like it or not, right? Might as well choose a good master, not a cruel master. Amen? Now, if you're a believer and you made that commitment to, to be a bond servant of Christ, Jesus' commandment, it is not optional to you. Amen? Amen. You don't get to choose. You don't get to modify it. You, get, you don't get to put your preference into it. You either follow the commandment or you don't follow the commandment. Amen? amen. Now, the big amen. Amen? amen. One of his commandments I'm going to highlight, we're going to close in prayer, is go and... Preach the gospel. How much freedom, liberty, leeway Jesus has given you in terms of telling others about him? Zero. He's your master. You have to obey him. He didn't consider your personality. He didn't consider your preferences. He didn't consider what you like. And actually, all of this is irrelevant. He's your master. You committed to be his slave. You have to obey his word. Amen? Amen. Go and uh, preach, proclaim, tell people about Jesus. This is a command from the king, from the master. Amen? Amen? This is not optional. This is not up to you. This is something we have to obey. Amen? Amen. I forgot to tell you this, but let me close with that thought because it's so powerful. All these disciples in the New Testament, when they introduce themselves, they say, I am a bondservant of Christ. They didn't say, I'm a bondservant of the Father. Did you notice that? They say, I'm a bondservant of Christ. Do you understand how they... They understood that the prophets of the Old Testament are bond servants, slaves of God, right? And then they say, we are slaves not of God, but of Christ. So, in their mind, they're thinking that Jesus is just equal to God. Being a slave to Christ is also a slave to God. Amen? It's just too good to pass on this one. Amen? Let's close our eyes and pray.